All right. This is Paul McClintock. I'm sitting here in San Diego, California. Very excited to talk to one of my very good friends. This is this is episode two of my podcast that kind of has a working title of My Amazing Friends. I did a little quick preview episode, and, and hopefully you've heard that by now. It's only a couple minutes. But the the real genesis here is I love the format of spending time with people and and in the long form environment. It's super fun. I've really enjoyed it the last half a dozen years or so listening to podcasts. And I started thinking a year or so ago, how cool would it be to talk to a bunch of my friends? I feel very, very fortunate that I've had an opportunity to meet some amazing people. Some are people that I consider my best friends, just like the gentleman that I'm going to introduce in just a second, and some that I barely know. But but how cool would it be to spend time with them, get to know them, and really have a worst case scenario of what if we record something for posterity and their kids and their grandkids and their friends, grandkids get to listen to it. I, I thought that would be really cool. So that's how we landed here today. And this is a place where I'm going to talk to about four dozen of my good friends and we'll see where it goes from there. But as I said, I am excited to have my oldest since age five. So call it 45 years ago, friend, um, with me today, Anthony Pope, who's who's called in from St. Louis, Missouri. Anthony, how are you? Doing great. Excited to be part of this. It's going to be a lot of I, fun. I'm excited to have you. I I hope and and I say this for a reason. I hope you're ready to talk about yourself. <laughs> Not my favorite subject, but today we'll we'll uh, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, no, it, it'll be fun. So. Um, Look, let's let's start where I plan to start every one of these um, every one of these conversations, which is a, a question I learned from my uncle Bill, who was a colonel in the U.S. Air Force and a, and a fighter pilot. But everyone he met, he asked them, um, "Where are you from?" So let's start there, Anthony. Where are you from? Gotcha. Well, um, maybe I'll start out with the easy and obvious answer to that. Uh, I was geographically, I'm from. Um, I'm from Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, my dad uh, was going to Colorado State. Uh, he was in grad school. I was born out there. Um, traveled around uh, a bit as my dad went from job to job. We, uh, um, we lived for a little while in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, moved back to um, a, a, a really tiny town in Colorado, uh, in, in eastern Colorado, almost in Kansas, uh, Yuma, Colorado. And then, as as Paul indicated, yeah, you know, I moved out to St. Louis, Missouri, when I was in kindergarten, and and so when I when I really consider where I'm from, uh, you know, I consider myself a St. Louis kid, um, and you know, I sometimes St. Louis is a little bit uh, of an interesting place. You know, I think they have some pretty strong opinions on who's from where, but people that are really from St. Louis, I think, think I'm from Colorado and. I consider myself from St. Louis. So um, that's where my formative years were. So I, I already learned something. I had no idea that before you showed up in my kindergarten class that you lived in Tulsa. I, hadn't, <laughs> I, I did know about Colorado. Um, and just, just for the record, a little housekeeping, there, there's a high likelihood that no one will ever listen to this. So you don't have to refer to me as Paul. Um, like you're <laughs> explaining to somebody else, um, you know, as Paul said, but I know I say that in jest. So, what, uh, 
look, let's let's hone in on. I know you grew up in St. Louis. Let let's hone, or near St. Louis. Let's hone in on that moment. Um, what what led the family to Fenton, Missouri? And um, do do you remember any part of that? Oh, uh, for sure. So obviously, you know my dad really well, and um, my dad's an interesting guy. He's um, he's uh, a very good businessman. Um, but he's also, you know, I think a, a bit of an engineer and an entrepreneur at heart. And, um, he had, um, post, uh, graduating from Colorado state, he had worked at a couple of different businesses. The one in Tulsa was in the energy industry, oil and gas. Uh, and then he had gone back to Yuma, Colorado to work with, with um one of his friends from college um at at their local um or their family business um which was a a, a manufacturing business and um that was in the early 70s and early mid 70s and um uh you know i think uh, that business ended up um, kind of, go, uh, going under basically is, is my sure. recollection, but maybe being a bit of a struggle. And, uh, so my dad started looking for, um, looking for work and ended up going from, you know, kind of this, um, you know, kind of very hands-on entrepreneurial business to working for maybe at the other end of the continuum. Um, he, he got a job at Monsanto and, uh, it was it was Monsanto that brought us to St. Louis. Obviously, at that point in time, that was the the world headquarters. And um, you know, I I I laugh. Things are a little bit different now than uh, you know. I think we handle some of these life transitions differently. But at that point in time, uh, my dad had my mom and dad had four kids, um, and. I was, I was in kindergarten and you didn't wait to the end of the school year, you know, just when it was time to move for the job, it was time to go. And we, we came out and I, uh, we, we settled in and a day or two later walked into, um, who was it? Miss Hallam's class. Yeah. And, nice job. And, uh, and met the whole crew. So, uh, I was the, the weird kid that showed up from Colorado in kindergarten and didn't know how to read. And so we jumped right into that schooling here in St. Louis and went from there. So you said a bunch of things that, that are making me smile, obviously. Um, and, it, and it sounds like you do remember. So, so at that time you had four or it sounds like you had three siblings and yes. uh, how did that, how did that wind up? Let's shape the family. So everybody n- knows what our starting point is. For sure. Um, so I'm the oldest of seven. Um, there are, you know, high to low, it's a 12 year age gap. Um, there are three boys and four girls. Um, and, uh, you know, seven kids in 12 years, um, is, um, I'm not, I'm not sure how my mom stayed sane. Um, but, uh, me neither, me either. (laughs) Well, and, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this later, obviously, in the discussion, but, um, you know, it wasn't really just just the seven kids either. You know, our house was always, uh, you know, a place where we love to have friends and have uh, 
friends and friends of friends over. And so there was always a lot of activity and, and a lot of other kids. And, you know, I kind of felt like, uh, I grew up, um, you know, in a very busy and, and, and very accepting and, and, uh, kind of a wide open household. So, um, yeah, my, my mom, um, she definitely, she definitely kept herself busy and, uh, thankfully kept us all in line. So I assume no matter how many people may ever wind up listening to this, very few of them are, are one of seven kids. So what's, uh, you know, maybe fast forward, um, you know, to the point where even if you've moved on, I remember your first house, which I, I consider, you know, pretty humble beginnings. Actually, let's touch on that. Just, just a brief description of the house that you, you all started in. Um, sure. And, and maybe to your point, you know, I think, um, my parents um, were, were were both that uh, you know they married young. They got married at I think twenty four years old, which you know may have been more typical at that uh, at that at that point right. in time. Um, they both came from good, loving families, but but not uh, you know extensive means. And um, you know I think it was it was relatively humble, um, kind of a a humble lifestyle, um, from the very beginning and, um, lots of love and lots of, um, you know, kind of focus and attention and all those sorts of things. But, um, you know, also, you know, I think, um, a lifestyle that was both, um, you know, like you said, humble, but also at that point in time, I, I think there were a lot of starter family lifestyles sure. that looked like this. And, and so when we moved here to St. Louis, uh, you know, our, our, our first house, if I remember correctly, was it was on about an acre. It was a it was a three bedroom house. Um, we had. I'm trying to remember if it was one or two bathrooms, but that was it tops. Um, we moved there when I was in kindergarten. We moved out when I was in sixth grade. By the time. Um, by the time, obviously I was in, I was in sixth grade, all seven of us were in that house at that point in time. And there's my parents' room. There was a boy's room. There was a girl's room and there, uh, you know, we, we were, we were kind of packed in like sardines. So and, uh, we'll go ahead. Sorry. And so that was kind of what led to the need to move, uh, you know, to make the move to the house that, you know, maybe we, we spent more of our time in th through my teenage years and through the rest of the kids kind of growing up. So three bedrooms and sounds like maybe six kids and a baby at the end. You're, you're obviously more than the, the math doesn't work. You're, you're three or four kids in a room, right? That was it. Yep. Which is pre pretty amazing. I mean, I think in this day and age, at least in this country where we're all so lucky to live, I, I think it's, it's pretty amazing to look back on that. So what were, uh, you know, I know your parents, but I don't know if I know the answer to this question, but you know, when you think about them or if I were asking them, what, what were their kind of, you know, top two key priorities for their kids? Um, you know, I think, uh, that's actually a really good qu question. I, I'm not sure how they would answer it, but uh, um, being on the kind of receiving end of their teaching and their wisdom and so forth, if you were to, if you were to make me guess, I would say the top two priorities were um education and 
religion and um maybe if if you were to allow me a third i would i would say family would would be a third um and probably oh wow and probably <laughs> if you if you asked me um to re to to order that uh correctly um it would probably be family religion education with the way i is is what was important to them so I'm pretty, I'm, I'm trying to harken back to those days, you know, 45 years ago, but I'm pretty sure at the end of kindergarten, I could read a little bit. So if they're, if one of their top priorities was education, how did, how did you end up showing up with all of us and not being able to read? Right. No, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I don't know if it was the, the Eastern Colorado school system that was <laughs> uh, a, a little behind the times or what, but you know, what I do remember about that is once I figured out, you know, obviously I was aware of books and things of that nature. Um, but once I figured out that basically everybody was supposed to be able to read at my age and once my mom and dad figured out the same thing, um, let's just say that they corrected that really quickly over that summer. So I, I know that they did. So, um, you know, leading up to this, it was really fun for me to, to make a bunch of notes and think about, and, and, you know, one disclaimer I want to throw out there is even though I've known you for 45 years, we haven't lived in the same place for 25. And right. so I'm, I think I'm maybe most excited about having this kind of conversation because again, you know, as much as we try to keep in touch, life happens and and you don't get all the details and we'll, we'll make our way to that as we kind of move through but um, one of my favorite memories that I did write down is you, you know, very quickly, I, I don't know if it's first grade or second grade reading very, very thick books about topics that I, I, I couldn't believe a child would read. So, you know, that became a huge, as you said, a huge lever they pulled. Um, what, give, give us some background there. And, and how did you react to it? Um, so I, part of this um you know, maybe just a little bit of, of, of nature versus nurture. Obviously my parents, ha um, you know, ha had, had an impact on it, a role on it, but for whatever reason, um, just from a very young age for me, I was always very curious, uh, liked learning about the world around me. I enjoyed reading. Reading wasn't a chore. Um, and, um, I'm also a, a, um, yeah, both an inquisitive and a, and a, and a competitive person. So I, I like to learn, but I also liked to, uh, do well and, and I, in, in school and things of that nature. So, you know, competition on things like the soccer field or the basketball court is, is maybe, um, kind of easy to understand and recognize at that age, but for whatever reason, I also uh, liked to compete, um, maybe not against my classmates, but just kind of against um, the the test or against the objective, you know, on the academic side. So it, it was always fun for me to see what grades I could get and could I sure. could I try to get a better score? And you know, um, it you know, I'm sure you remember. Um, in in third grade we'd have the the multiplication and division you know races kind of the, the, the races and i loved the competition aspect of that and 
you know, uh, how many, you know, you, you'd have a reading contract. How many books are you going to read in a month? And, you know, I'd love to say 10 and then read 11 or whatever it was. And so, but what, some, let me, let me pause you for a second. What was for, that though? I mean, I know you're, I know you're competitive, but I mean, we're talking a very young age right now and I mean, younger than your, you know, siblings, children. I mean, we're, we're, you're, you're a young man, yet you're figuring those things out. You said a little bit of nature, a little bit of nurture. Do you feel like it was inherent or do you feel like it was something you learned over time? I think it's mostly, uh, I think it was mostly something I was born with. Frankly, you my, you know, my parents, um, if you were to ask them, you know, they would sit, they would never say that, you know, they had to get on me to, to do my homework or to, uh, to, um, to do my reading or to study for a test or whatever the case may be. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, and you may have a different opinion on this. I don't know. I mean, we went to school the whole time, but my perception of our schooling wasn't that it was, um, you know, um, viewed as the, as the cool thing to do to be academic, you know, where, where, uh, you know, I think being viewed as highly proficient academically in some settings, you know, that there's, a some, some status or, or some, um, you know, positive peer pressure to, to do those sorts of things. And, and my recollection for us was, you know, it was fine if you did, it was fine if you didn't, you know, that's really not what the kids were focused on. And, and, and still for me, for whatever reason, that was something I wanted to do kind of for myself. And, you know, I, th I think that persisted, you know, all the way through high school and into college, frankly, yeah. where, where I had, um, for some reason I got fulfillment or I got, um, 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 enjoyment out of, out of the process of learning and out of the process of, of doing well. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't really, it, it was an internally driven thing. It wasn't an external, it wasn't external validation or anything of that nature that was driving it. Yeah. When I think about watching you, all these different life stages, you know, I mean, if we stopped recording right now and and people were going to take away one thing for me and what I always admired the most was there was a, a level of intelligence, an inherent, I, I think an inherent work ethic and, and, you know, skill set to, to want to do those things. But you also chose time and time again to, to put in the extra work, to read 11 books when there were 10. And I mean, I think I, I think I was lucky and got to ride in that wake a little bit because I was also competitive, but you were, you, I, you were always playing a different game than a lot of people. Um, I will say you, I, I will back you up and say you always kept a lot of humility about it. So that's good. But, uh, you know, it's pretty impressive to be talking about at age seven or eight, you know, recognizing, um, what I think are foundational skills that you're, uh, you know, as we get to it through the course of this conversation, I know you're still applying today. Right. And, you know, I think, um, I think for me, I view myself as having just some significant amount of good fortune because, you know, there, that was something I was, I was born with or blessed with. Um, and, um, I, I, it wasn't something that I had to to discipline myself over time to, 
that, you know, that, that maybe was against my nature, if you will. And so, um, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways to succeed in this world. And, um, you know, I think I was, I was blessed that, that, um, I had that natural interest and, and, and inquisitiveness. And I found things like that, um, fun and interesting. And, um, it, it played out well for me for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just wrote on a piece of paper, good fortune in quotes and, but I want to, I want to, um, balance that with sharing a, sharing a room with your two brothers and your three sisters next door. I mean, it, you know, you, you know, we're very, as we said already, we've already, we've already stated, we're very fortunate to have come from the place we come from. We meaning all of us, not, not just you and me, yeah. but, uh, you know, it, it's, I mean, I, I would ask everybody to, to think about their childhood and what it was like. Cause I had my own room and my sister had her own room, but I didn't have that in, inherent work ethic. I had to, I had to learn it and, and try to emulate. So, um, all, all good stuff. Now I, there's also one fun fact that I know that, um, I think still floors me to this day, which is as we became friends, which I think was, you know, full transparency. I think that was first grade, not really, you know, that we just hit it off thick as thieves in the last week of kindergarten. But I remember coming over to your house for the first time and realizing that you did not have a television in the home. So I'd love to know why you did not. And I'd love your thoughts on what that represented to you and your, your, the whole family, but most importantly, your brothers and sisters. Um, you know, it's funny that, that you, you bring that up. Um, I'm, I'm ultimately going to end up, I'm, I'm sure tying that back into my own kids and, and, um, maybe the motivations are, are, are obvious to all of us now that we have, that we have kids and the amount of time they spend on, on their screens. Um, but that really was the driver of not having a, a television. When we moved from Colorado to here, my, my, I think primarily my dad, but, um, my, my mom and dad together made the decision that their kids were, um, spending too much time sitting on the floor in the living room, watching cartoons and not being out in the world, you know, living like kids should live. And so they literally gave away the TV and we didn't have a television. We didn't own a television in our house from kindergarten through sixth grade. Um, and you know, I think the, the, it, it wasn't, a uh, you know, a, a, a moral question or something of that nature, a moral concern that was causing that it was, sure. uh, it was, um, you know, you, you're, you're, you're not, it, screens are distracting you from, from getting the best out of life and from enjoying all that the real world has to offer. And, and I can very much relate to, to that as I see the amount of time I spend on screens now and my kids do, but, uh, you know, it's fun, you know, again, it, it, it wasn't that they're, that they were morally against television. Uh, you know, we would rent a television, <clears throat> you know, for a week, <laughs> a year, because, you know, my whole family loves sports. And back then the, the week between Christmas and new year's was all the college football bowl games. And so right. we would, uh, we'd rent a TV for that week and, uh, you know, we'd watch 17 football games in in six days or seven days. And, uh, and, you know, and so I, I think, after a week of that, my parents, it reminded them exactly why they didn't 
exactly. they didn't want to have the TV yeah. for the other 51 weeks a year. And, and uh, ultimately, you know, the reason we got a TV back in sixth grade was, you know, this was kind of the advent of <clears throat> home computers. And my dad is a very, you know, kind of technologically inclined person. And so we needed a monitor for the, for the computer that he had at home. And, and, you know, within two weeks of us having the, the TV that was a computer monitor, the kids had figured out how to, you know, he, he had disabled the television part of it. The kids had basically <laughs> hotwired it so that we were watching TV and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's, uh, it's like crack, you know, it's, it's sure. just addictive. And, uh, you know, within, within two months of, of having that, you know, we'd gone from no, no TV to two weeks later, kind of figuring out how to hotwire it to two months later, we're watching it every day. Um, kind of probably validates my parents reason for not wanting it in the first place. Okay. So you've brought up sports a couple of times. So I feel like I, that can't, that worms out of the can. So, um, let, let's talk about it for a second. And, and what I really, what I think you'll see here, you, you and me included is kind of what, you know, what are the big things that shaped how you approach school, family, work, life in general? Um, we don't have to rehash all of our one-on-one -on -one basketball matches or all of our glory stats from high school or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, let's let's start with kind of your earliest memories of competing in sports. What sports were they? And, and give it give us the breakdown of how that started to shape, um, just just like books did. How that started started to shape who you are, for sure. Um, so, you know, moving from Colorado to here, Colorado football was was everything, and I I show up in in St. Louis. And, um, at that age, you know, there's basically nobody playing football here where everyone played football there and everybody played the here, played this thing called soccer, which I'd never even heard of. Um, and so the first organized sport that I started to play was, was soccer. And I, you know, I, I just loved it. I'd always, you know, from the time, um, you know, where I could walk, I was playing with a ball of some sort and, um, and, you know, my parents, uh, both enjoyed sports and, you know, and kind of encouraged it. And so, um, I really, really thought that I was a good athlete and, you know, in, it, in the beginning, um, having interest and, and, and caring goes a long way towards, towards deciding, you know, who's, who, who will win, you know, kind of at a sporting contest. And so, you know, I grew up through grade school thinking I was a really good athlete, good at sports. And I, you know, when I started to figure out, I wasn't necessarily a great athlete. It was probably, you know, in like fifth or sixth grade where we're at Stanton elementary school and, and, you know, I'm trying out for the track team with coach McGrath and, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, well, um, I, I can't even remember what all the events were, but it was like, all right, you know, I want to do the hundred yard dash. Um, and we all go out and race and I come in like 14th in my class and, you know, it's like the top three make the team or whatever. And well, then it was the long jump and then it was the triple jump and then it was the 
high jump and the shot putt. And by the time the track meet showed up, sixth grade track meet, I, I was the manager. I, I didn't qualify for a single event. And I was like, what is going on here? I thought I was an athlete. And, and so I guess maybe I'd say I was, a, I was a competitor, but I wasn't a great athlete and I enjoyed sports. Um, you know, in, in my family with, with seven kids, it's, you know, you, you couldn't do multiple sports at once, you know, in, in the, in the fall, everybody did soccer in the winter, everybody did basketball and in the spring, everybody did baseball. And, and pretty soon if you wanted it, pretty soon you, you weren't even, there really wasn't even room in the calendar to do, you know, more than one or two sports. You couldn't really do one each year. And so probably in um, maybe sixth or seventh grade, um, I was kind of figuring what my, what I was going to focus on. And my dad, uh, he was six, four, and I was always one of the tallest kids in the class. You know, I was probably by sixth grade, I was probably five, eight, five, nine by seventh or eighth grade. I was six, one. Um, and we all thought that I was going to be as tall as my dad, maybe even taller. And so I decided to quit soccer and baseball and play focus on basketball. And I was six, one, my freshman year and six, two, my senior year. So I made the wrong choice, but that is, that was kind of the, the, the tail end of my athletic career was, was <laughs> high school basketball. I, I think I, I would disagree on bad choice, but uh, there are a lot of good memories there, but uh, the, so you said an interesting thing earlier that I did not know. Um, you, you talked about the kind of the academic side and how competitive you were. I'd love to hear your, how you contrast that with how competitive you were in sports. And maybe as you realized you weren't as good of an athlete as a student and let's be clear, I think you were a very good athlete. Um, how did you deal with that? And, and what talk about the fuel that you had to keep competing in the, in the athletic space? Um, so to me, I always, it's, it, it's funny. It was the, 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 the competition element was just way, way different in the academic space than in the athletic space for me in, in the academic space. I, I never really felt like very much that I was competing with my classmates or competing with my peers. It was, it was more just kind of trying to do well and trying to perform for myself. And so I, I, I kind of viewed myself as competing almost against myself there where clearly, um, you know, it, it, on the playing field, it was competition against, you know, uh, against the other team or against, again, you know, uh, whoever your competitor was. Um, and, uh, I, I, I guess I really loved both types of competition. Um, I guess I would say the difference is, um, y you know, certainly for the, for the first kind of parts of my, you know, for the first couple decades of my life, um, you know, competing against yourself and, and feeling like you're doing your best. Um, you know, as long as you put your best effort in and, and, and you're satisfied with you, you've, you've kind of given all that you can, there's not necessarily a whole lot of, of disappointment. Sure. There's some bumps or bruises along the way. If you don't, you know, if you don't do well on a certain test or something like that, but sure. 
there there wasn't the 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 real um you know i think character building consequences of playing great and still losing or not playing super well but winning and not not necessarily feeling satisfied with that feeling of winning because you know you didn't you didn't really um play the game well or play the game right and learning how to win well learning how to lose well learning how to um help others perform well learning how to have others help me perform well i i just think that the the life lessons and the and the the competition sure. aspects of, of of athletics are um they're just so far reaching and so long lasting and so applicable to so many different di- different um um aspects of life that uh you know i i view that you know even though you know kind of at the end of the day athletics weren't going to um take me super far beyond high school and you know on the court um i think the lessons and the and the skills and the and the grit and just so many of the intangibles that that i I think have been useful to me later in life were were very much either developed or at least enhanced um on the playing field. Now, as you're talking, I'm going through my Rolodex of memories and um, I'd love to know how, how good of a loser you think you were back in the day. And maybe, but on a more serious note, um, is that something you've worked on throughout your life? And if you have, how's it evolved and how, how did you do it? How present is it in your thinking? Um, so uh, I, it's funny in certain circumstances, I was actually, you know, I think a pretty, pretty good loser. And in other circumstances, I was a absolutely terrible loser that I definitely had a lot of lessons to learn. You know, I hated to lose against my family. Um, part of that has to do with being the oldest, um, where, you know, I kind of felt like there was no, reason or excuse where I, where I should lose against my family. Um, it's certainly my siblings. Um, and that, that was really challenging for me. Um, you know, playing soccer and, you know, obviously you started out playing football and basketball, but particularly basketball. And you, you kind of introduced me to basketball, maybe, I can't remember fifth or sixth grade, whenever your dad started, you know, kind of coaching me and you've been, you've been playing at that point for what, five, six years, I'm guessing since since kindergarten. Yeah. And I remember, you know, you know, I, I, I was light years away from you in basketball. And so, um, it didn't bother me that you beat the crap out of me in in basketball at that point. It's like, I, (laughs) I had, I had no chance and, and, but that was also why it was really satisfying over the over the course of middle school and high school, you know, when we both had been playing a while, we were on teams together and everything. And when it became competitive, I knew if I ever did win a game of one-on-one, it actually meant something. And, um, you know, and, and, and so 
um, I, I, you know, I, I definitely had to work on, on my temper and, and, um, you know, kind of being a good sport, but you know, it's funny just how situational those, those were. Um, I hated losing at soccer. You know, my, my parents still tell stories about, you know, some of the times where I would lose and just cry and, 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 you know, kind of go on like, like life was ending because we'd lost a right. third grade CYC soccer game. And my mom was just like, what is the matter with that kid? You know, it, it's the end of the world. And, and so, yeah, it was clearly, it was something that you had to work on to, to learn how to, to, um, you know, kind of appropriately channel that, that desire to, to, to perform and do well and, and, and keep it productive. Yeah, no, I mean, trust, trust me, I'm looking in the mirror as I ask, you know, a question like that and, and I'll, I'll give you a breather for a second, but I think about, you know, being a young high school or college kid, literally breaking golf clubs over their bag (laughs) because of a bad shot. And now fast forward, I feel very fortunate. I, I still play golf with some regularity and it's, you know, if one of my friends broke a club, I'd, I'd probably tell them if they ever do it again, I'm never going to play with them. So you know, the, these lessons that are kind of, um, blacksmithed into us at a, at a very young age. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. And I, and I'm going to revisit it as we make our way through, we'll get, we'll, we'll move across the timeline here shortly, but I think it's, I think it's super important. They are a big part of who you become and you don't have to play sports to do it. You don't have to read books to do it. Those are very common things, but there are to me pulling these little tidbits out, um, and trying still to become a better loser, a more classy, uh, person in defeat is, is a real skill and it's, it's definitely not easy to do. Um, so, so one, one last thing you, you touched on it. You said one of your three, um, big things, um, was religion. And so, um, you know, big topic for a lot of people and and religion in our country is at a very interesting place right now versus when you and I were growing up or when our parents were growing up, but just, just touch on maybe, um, how it, how it played a role in the family um, you know, how it shaped I, your siblings are wonderful people that I feel very lucky to know well, but, you know, just, just touch on for a couple of minutes, what, what kind of role it played and and how it shaped who you all became. So, um, I was, um, born and raised, uh, in the Mormon religion, church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, you know, I, I, I think when I, you know, when I think about the implications of that, um, it is a, it's, it's a religion that is very, um, Christ centered, family centered, community centered. And so, um, and, and there's a high degree of, of activity and involvement. So the church is a very big part of your life. You know, we would go to church on Sundays and, um, you know, you would have the main worship service where the, all the families were together and that would be about an hour. And then you'd have a, um, you, you would, you would break into groups where, um, the, um, you know, maybe the more elementary school age kids would have classes together for about an hour, hour and a half, two hours. The young adults would have classes together. Sometimes, um, males and females together. Sometimes the boys and girls separated the, the adults would have their various classes. So, um, you'd have about three hours of service on Sunday uh, of services. Um, 
you know, on Monday nights, that was family home evening where the family unit would get together and there would be a lesson of sorts. Um, you know, usually uh, one night during the week, there would be um, uh, a service at church or an activity, I guess I, I should say, where it might be the young men's and young women's groups would get together and, and do an activity or the adults, um, uh, you know, the adult men or the adult women would get together for an activity. Um, there would be daily Bible readings um, at, you know, as a family. Um, so it was a, it was a very, um, um, uh, religion was not just a Sunday thing. It wasn't, right. you go to church for an hour a week and, and think pious thoughts. Um, religion was kind of baked into the totality of almost, uh, you know, of, of, of every day. And, yeah. um, I, you know, I think that that was, um, very um formative you know kind of for me um when i left the house uh to you know to go to college um i i, ma I made the decision to um uh, you, know, you know to quit practicing the religion but um i wouldn't want anybody to mistake that for um for maybe not having a ton of respect for the religion and a, and a, and a ton of um, sure. fond memories of it. And, you know, I think from, from my perspective, you know, I don't want to really focus on, on doctrine or anything um, with respect to the religion, but I think far and away the best part of, of, of the religion for me growing up and, and, and for the, the best part that, that, that religion can play a very positive impact um, in our culture is is really the community that that fosters. Um, you know, you, you very much have the sense that um, that that um, I as an individual and, and an important person, but I am a part of a of a greater whole and you know, that, that, that greater body could be your nuclear family. It could be your extended family. It could be your right. church community. It could be your school community. And, um, and I think the religion very much teaches you to, um, to, um, to, to get the most out of your life. You have to be invested in your community. You, you know, you have to invest your time and your talent and your thought and your effort and, and that if we all do that, um, the, the sum is, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. That there are positive um, synergies and externalities that come from that. And we can, um, you know, by being um, invested, in, you know, in our communities, um, it provides a, a framework of, of support and and, uh, you know, a, a scaffolding that allows us all to be more fulfilled, more um, engaged, more connected, more and and, and more um, successful in terms of of, you know, I think having a sense of, of belonging and, you know, and 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 leading that fulfilled life. And, and so right. religion that that's that was really the value for me of the religion. And, and, um, I, 
you know, I look around and as, as organized religion in total has uh, decreased in our country, you know, I think that there's a correlation with, with that and some of the, some of the disconnectedness and challenges we, we see as a success, as a society. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, you know, again, like I said, from the outset, I, I like doing this for selfish reasons because I get to learn and, and I get to learn more about my friends, but the, I mean, I'm thinking about the countless number of times I went to your church to play basketball. Uh, many other times I went to play volleyball meals, barbecues, but I never put two and two together until right at this moment that that was driving or fostering this sense of community. I think it, I think it's amazing what, what you yep. just walked through. Um, so let, let me hit, let me hit you with a couple kind of like, uh, I don't want to say like rapid fire, but you know, simple questions as we bridge our way into adulthood. Um, where did you go to high school? Eureka senior high school out in Eureka, Missouri. Eureka, Missouri. Our hometown didn't have a high school at the time. So we had to, we had to drive with 800 other kids about 10 miles on the highway, which that was, that was very safe. Yes. Um, and, and where'd you go to college? I went to Washington university in St. Louis, um, which was, I think the only, maybe the only school that I, the only college that I'd visited before, before deciding where to go, didn't take any other trips. And you felt, uh, you felt you knew it was the right place. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. I, I I have one kid in college now, another one that's a senior in high school that's going through the college search process, and th the amount of thinking that went into the college decision when I was deciding to go to college compared to now is it it doesn't even look like the oh, the course. same the same thought process. You know, it it I've. I, I guess it was an important decision, but it didn't feel like this life altering, you know, super heavy decision. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you, yeah, I'm going to take a look at a couple of pamphlets and read through and all oh, that sounds interesting. And yeah, Hey, let's give that a try. You know, and right. I, I look at, I, you know, it's almost hard to believe it's, it's, uh, you know, even on the same playing field is, is kind of what we're doing these days. So. Yeah. Very, very different. Very different. What was your, uh, I don't know if I know the answer to this question, but I think I do. What was your first car? I bought in college. So the, the first one I owned myself that wasn't like my parents. No, the first car, car you drove, the first car that you ever drove around. Oh, the first car I drove around a lot. Uh, that was the, the black Dodge Dakota pickup truck. And I thought, uh, yeah, we, Speaking of driving from Fenton to Eureka for school, uh, yeah, that's what we—that's what I'd pick you up in, and you and me and who was it? Tracy Greathouse in the front seat, and Mike <laughs> in the bed. Yeah, Mike in the bed of the truck. Yeah, somebody, somebody in the bed of the truck with no seatbelt. Yeah. Um, you remember the year? Because we we were this would have been wow. 1989. What year was the truck? Jeez, that is a. <laughs> it's got to be like a. 85 or something okay you know enough. it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite interview questions not i'm, I'm certainly not interviewing you um, yeah and then what was your first job where you received a paycheck so uh this gets back a little bit to to uh parents and their influence uh my dad when again i'm one of seven um don't come you know from extravagant means um, at the age of 12, 
12. At the age of 13, my dad pulled me aside, sat me down and told me that um, I was going to be responsible for, for, for paying for my own college and basically for everything kind of after, you know, he was going to help us out and um, through, through high school. And when we moved out, we were on our own. Um, so he told me that, but he also bought me a, uh, a, a, you know, a commercial lawnmower and well bought him a commercial lawnmower, but let me use it and um, helped me start a lawnmowing business. And so my brother, Micah and I, um, you know, the first, the first real job I had was, was cutting lawns and, um, did that from kind of when I was 13, all the way through, all the way through high school. And then what are, th- I mean, think, put yourself back in those shoes and on that seat of that lawnmower, what were the, I mean, you can go to three if you want, but I was going to ask you, what are the two biggest learnings you took away from that job? So it, it, it's really funny. Um, number one, there was just, uh, so I, I had a desire to, to make money and to have money. And so I appreciated having the job for spending money and, and things of that nature, but I hated the, the, the actual work of cutting the lawn and trimming the lawn and raking the lawn and all those type of things. And, you know, as much as I was a good um, kind of worker with respect to get my schoolwork and, and, and so forth done. I think my, my dad and my brother would say I was probably just as, as poor of a worker at, you know, on the lawn mowing business and, and anything I would, I could do to get out of the work. Apparently I would do. And Micah did way more of the work than, you know, way more than his fair share, you know, kind of of that work. And, and, um, I, I, so I think one of my big takeaways was I was like, I have got to figure out a way for, for me to, uh, to make money that is where I'm, I'm, I'm using more of my mind and, and, you know, less, uh, kind of just bending my back. So that was one of my big, that's a great, one well, of the big takeaways. I know you. Yeah. That's a great takeaway. Um, so re- last thing, and then we'll, we'll make our way into some, what I, I think are some big seminal moments for you. So you, you sound like a pretty perfect kid. Um, I'm assuming you got in trouble. If you don't want to incriminate yourself, you don't have to, but, um, nobody's perfect. W- did you get in trouble when you were a teenager? Did you reflect on it and learn in the moment? Or did you reflect on it and learn 20 years later? What happened? Um, so no, I, I, I was not a perfect kid and, and, and frankly, probably not close. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know how much of this was, was a function of being the oldest, but, um, I, I was just kind of wrapped up in my, in my own world a lot where I was thinking more about myself and how things impacted me and less about how it looked to my parents or how, how it, it, it looked to my younger siblings. Um, you know, uh, we, we talked about the religion there, there were definitely some standards and, and, you know, kind of expectations of behavior around the religion that, um, you know, as a teenager that was looking to spread his, 
spread his wings a bit. Uh, that kind of came into conflict, and I know that caused some heartache for my for my parents. And um, it, but I wasn't that thoughtful about it, at, at, you know, kind of at the time. I was I was I saw everything from my own point of view, and really, it, it's not that I didn't. It's not that I couldn't see things from my parents' point of view. It's I didn't even have the awareness to try to see things from their point of view. I was, you know, kind of just, um, so immature, you know, kind of at that point in time. And so we definitely had some, some struggles and, you know, um, I know, uh, you know, at points in time, you know, they were, um, probably at their wits end. And I remember, you know, kind of after I, graduated from from high school before you know over that summer before I went to to college you know my mom had decided she'd had about enough of trying to police me and had me you know went and bought a uh, bus ticket put me on a Greyhound bus and sent me to New Mexico to live with my grandparents for two months and said if you get your act together you can stop by the house on the way back to college and pick up your stuff. If not, just go straight to college. And, you know, it, at the end of the, you know, looking back, you know, two years, five years, 10 years down the road, uh, you know, for sure you kind of kick yourself, you know, a little bit and, you know, maybe it's a little easier in the rear view mirror to recognize some of the immaturity and selfishness and, some of that other stuff that kind of feeds into 18 year old behavior. But uh, yeah, you know, I, th- I think if you were to have my parents on your podcast and ask them for stories, <laughs> well, certainly from, from me, but for any of the seven kids they raise, they, they tell you that teenagers are a handful and the, the stories they'd share with, they they, it'd be hair raising, but I just wanted to get out there for the record that you weren't perfect. You were sounding pretty good <laughs> as we were moving through things. So, um, well, well, look, I think, you know, I have kids too. We're all, we're all thinking about these things and you want, want people to be safe, but I, I, it, I find it fascinating how often I think back to those key moments or the times I did something wrong or bad or got in trouble and how they are still there. I'm, I, oh, yeah. they, they're like the, the guy sitting on your shoulder, um, at all those moments. So, all right. So you, I remember when you went to New Mexico, cause I didn't have anybody to practice basketball with. I was very upset <laughs> with your mom, but, um, you had to wash you. Um, I, I know this is where I, you know, probably I'm coming to the end of the line of where I know the whole play by play of your life, but something pretty big happened early in your tenure at wash you, which I assume, you know what I'm talking about. Sure. Um, basically day two, um, at, at wash you, um, before classes have even started or anything of that, nature um you know i i'd I'd moved into the dorms kind of um unpacked myself Uh, you know i met a girl uh you know at that point in time um we had co-ed dorms and my next door neighbor was a couple of girls one of them was from kansas city and on, on on our second day there she uh we were having a barbecue for our dorm and the and the dorm you know kind of across the the way and she, uh, my neighbor introduced me to her friend from Kansas city. Um, she said, you know, here's a neat girl. Her name's Erica Clevenger. And, um, she's also in the business school cause, uh, you know, my neighbor knew I was in the business school and, you know, looking back, I wonder 
was was my neighbor just kind of tired of talking to me and looking to pawn me off onto some other girl for me to talk to? Was she really making an introduction and she was super insightful and thought we'd be a good match? I, you know, I don't know what her motivation was, but long story short, the I ended up dating Erico Clevenger and um, you know, it was a winding road for sure, but ultimately we ended up dating and and uh for what five and a half six years and uh, obviously ended up getting married and she still hasn't kicked me out of the house yet so we're still together I'll, and i'll put you on the spot you got to be 27 years in 25 what is it um we got married in 99 so uh you know we're gonna we're, we're gonna be 24 years um, 24 years this November and uh, boy, next year, I guess that's a big one. We're going to have to think about that some more and well, uh, be a little more thoughtful. I don't want to talk about her too much. Cause I, she is on the list of people. She is on the list of 42 people that I, um, that I, I think are amazing. And so um, I, I know, you know, look, I think it's fair to say she, she also kicked you in the butt a little bit as you started to move through college and think about the real world. Can you just talk about maybe here, I'll do a spoiler alert. Um, you've gotten very few B's in your life. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but, and I think you would agree school came, you know, fairly easy, but as you move through there, there's more work required. Just, just how did you think about, um, what habits were you putting in place? What things were you putting in place to ensure you were a good student? And, and holding up to your future wife's standards. But, but then maybe, you know, as we start to get into the, into the real world, how, how important was that then? And, you know, how, how did it apply to how you approached everything? Um, I think, you know, actually this is, this is, this is something I haven't given a ton of thought to. So, um, you know, th this will be helpful for me to just kind of talk through this, but, um, <laughs> I had decent study habits and things of that nature from high school, but not great study habits. Like, like you said, you know, um, you know, I had some good fortune and in, in terms of just maybe having some natural aptitudes and, and so forth. Um, and also kind of by virtue of, of, of being interested in a lot of this stuff, you know, it, it makes it easier to learn about something if you find it interesting. And so, um, by being interested, I'm in class, I'm paying attention, you know, uh, it, it kind of lessened the, the, the study skills that were required to kind of learn things in a disciplined manner on your own. And, and so when I showed up at Wash U, I, I didn't have the, the, the best of study skills. And, you know, Erica was just kind of like, a, you know, an animal on, executive functioning and studying and stuff. And look, she's, she's really smart, really intuitive. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, has good, um, you know, I think critical reasoning and things of that nature, but, you know, and so a lot of good qualities, but I think one of the things, at least particularly at that point in time that just set her, her well apart was just her, her discipline and, she had a great system and she put that system to work. And, and so if I wanted to spend time with her, it was going to be either in the library or in some study room or something like that, because that's just where she was going to be. And, and 
you know, it, it was funny just as we, as we kind of came together. Um, I think she helped introduce some of that structure to me. Um, she helped me probably think a little bit better about how to organize myself so that I, you know, to help myself learn more efficiently and so forth. But I didn't kind of, you know, just end up ultimately mirroring her style. You know, it was, you know, we'd get together. I, you know, I remember, you know, that this would happen regularly, you know, um, you know, we, we had common classes because she was in the business school as well. Um, and we'd have a test coming up and, and she would, you know, study 14 hours for an economics test. And we would start out together studying and I would be with her for the first hour or two. And, you know, I've gone through my notes once and then I've gone through a practice set of questions once. And then I'd review them one more time and I'd be like, okay, I got it. And I was like, I was two hours, two and a half hours in and I was done. And she was like, you know, what are you doing? You have, you know, the test, you know, it's, it's eight o'clock at night and you know, the test isn't until 10 o'clock tomorrow. You know, you could study six more hours tonight and you could wake up at, at eight in the morning and get three hours in and then we'll, you know, we, we can take the test tomorrow morning. And that's what she would do. And, um, and, you know, kind of for me, um, I was able to take her structure and say, I'm going to apply it until I know it, but I'm not going to overdo it. I'm not going to just, I'm not going to beat it up. And, and, um, you know, I think that, that approach to learning, um, and, you know, you and I talked about this, you know, a little bit, I, you know, when we lived together and you were going to, to, to grad school, you know, to me, the big things that I learned was, number one, always be prepared for class, you know, look at your syllabus, know what you're going to be talking about, do the reading beforehand so that when you're talking with your professor, you have an idea what it's about. You're not starting from scratch. That really helps you internalize and learn from the lecture and, um, you know, if it's that format in class where the, where the professor's trying to foster discussion and communication, get engaged. Don't be shy and kind of right. sit on your hands in the back. You know, the more that you can, you know, for my learning style, the more that you're prepared and that, and that it's a conversation, the more that, you know, the, the concepts become, um, you know, really internalized in your mind and, you know, you take good notes and at that point studying is review your notes, review your homework, but you've already internalized a bunch of it. And, you know, I, I think that that, um, you know, that, that, that method of learning is something that I've carried into, you know, my, my career. And that's how I learn there as well. And those, those, that framework was, was was definitely influenced heavily and, and largely built, uh, you know, at Wash U with with you know kind of watching Erica with your wife. How cool! How cool does that sound? No, I mean, look, I I think the doggedness, the you know, and, and whether you get a hundred or a ninety nine, I just know that Erica is one of those people that like if you can get a hundred, why would you not go for the yep. hundred? And I, I tell people all the time, I feel fortunate that I was able to interview people as a part of my career, but I almost never talked about anyone's GPA, 
but I did always talk about someone's work ethic and their habits and how they were shaped. And um, I mean, I, I was just going to ask you what advice you're giving to your kids as they head off to college. But I think um, I think I think we hit that. I think we checked that box. Is there any other? Well, uh, maybe I would. Them? Yeah, maybe I would add something on there, though, because, um, you know, it's funny to see even and like you said, you're going to talk to Erico, but to see how her. Um, you know, how her learning has evolved over time. Um, when she went back to graduate school, sh she took a bit of a different approach. You know, I think she said she would say now that she probably overdid some elements of it. And, right. and, 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 you know, one of the key things that we focus on for our kids is, um, is balance. Um, <clears throat> you know, um, you know, my, my oldest kid, she's in college. Um, her name's uh, Emmy. She, um, you know, she goes to a school that's very challenging academically. And, and, you know, if you, if you do just kind of focus on that to the exclusion of everything else, um, it's very possible to spend 27 hours a day, you know, trying to learn everything that, that you could possibly learn there and you wouldn't be successful. Um, and, you know, because there's always more to learn. Um, and you'd also miss out on a whole lot of, you know, I think kind of what you can get there. And, and, you know, I'd, I'd say trying to, trying to find the, to, to, to strike that elusive balance between um, being um, serious about your learning and being dedicated to self-improvement, but also enjoying all the other things that either school or life has to offer and the, and the other elements of, of, um, the maturation process and of growing up that, that aren't <clears throat> strictly academic in nature, you know, sure. building your friendships, building, you know, you know, she, uh, you know, my daughter, um, she plays on the women's soccer team, you know, um, you know, pursuing your athletics, um, pursuing, um, the, uh, cultural and, and, you know, other forms of, um, you know, just the other parts of your personality that are important to you. Um, it, it, it's a challenge to do, but striking that balance is, is maybe one of the most critical elements in, I think, living a well-rounded, fulfilled life. No, I totally agree. I've, it's been one of my buzzwords for 20 good 20 years that it, it's gotta be, you gotta approach everything that way. So, you're, you're, I think in this day and age, I, I, the most recent stat I read is like uh, maybe dated seven or eight years ago, but the average college graduate, I think at that time was, was going to have 11 different jobs in their career post-college. Um, you are, you are definitely a few standard deviations out given that you've only <laughs> had one, but, but you've had different jobs. So um, let's hear about your, your work, how you found it and you know, as, as you talk about it for a couple minutes, I'd, I'd love to weave in, um, your happiness level, your passion level, good or bad. And, and how you've managed that for the last gosh, 20, 28 years at the same firm, which is really, I mean, I say that out loud, that's really yeah. an incredible thing. You know, it's funny. Um, I'd like to say that this was like, uh, you know, a well thought out, well conceived master plan that, sure. um, that I'd hit upon at 22 years old, but like, like so many things in, in, you know, in life, um, um, 
you know, I think it was more maybe a fortune of both, you know, having a decent foundation and, 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 and a decent approach, but also just getting some really good fortune and some good bounces along the way. Um, you know, so, so the origin story for the job is, um, so first of all, I work at a company called Nissa Investment Advisors. Um, when I was at Wash U, um, I had had a number of internships, um, you know, kind of leading up to my senior year. And, um, and those internships had convinced me that I wanted to get into the finance industry. And, um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the summer before my senior year, I'd worked at a company called, uh, um, Kemper Securities and I had worked in the equity research, um, division. And so that was the first job I'd really had in, in kind of the capital markets area of, of finance. And so that was all I knew of finance. So I decided I was going to be an equity researcher. And I, you know, that was back before email was really a thing. And, and that was back when you just still sent out hard copy resumes to everybody. And that summer I sent out 75 resumes to various places on Wall Street, um, you know, equity research de departments and so, and so forth. Um, and literally, um, I only got one job interview back and that was for not even kind of in the, in the um, institutional capital markets division that was at a, at a wealth manager in Chicago. And so I, um, I, I came back to, to school in the fall and I spoke to the Dean there and, you know, depending on kind of how you looked at it, I was, I was probably the, the, the number one ranked finance student graduating, you know, in, in, in the senior class. And I was, I said to Dean Hochberg, I said, you know, how is it possible that, that, you know, I can't even get a, uh, you know, an interview, an interview back yeah. from, from, from wall street. And just at that time, you know, wall street was, um, you know, a very East coast, um, college and university dominated feeder system. You know, they didn't come to the Midwest kind of for that. Um, and, and so he said, well, you know, maybe let me, let me see if I can help you out. There's this company that just started up. It's, it, it's kind of a startup. It's, it's here in Clayton, Missouri. Um, the principals are ex Goldman Sachs, um, employees and ex Wash U professors. And, um, you know, maybe they can help you, um, Maybe they can help you on your path. And so I went there, had a discussion with them, and, and they offered me an internship. Um, the internship, you know, and basically the terms of it were, you know, at this point it was like a startup company. There was less than uh, 25 employees. Um, we had, I think, $2.7 in assets under management at the time. Um, um, and, and, you know, so it was, it was very small scale. And they said, we're going to, we'll give you an internship. You can work for us for three months. If after that three months, you know, once we've had a better chance to uh, understand who you are and, and what we think of you, if we think you won't 
embarrass us. We'll set you <laughs> up with with interviews at any place you want on the street. And the quid pro quo will be um, before you um, before you accept any job from the street, come back. You have to come back to us and have a discussion. And um, if at that point in time we think there's a role for you here, um, we want you to at least hear us out before you accept a job um, on the street. And so, um, you know, obviously we pursued the 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 internship. Um, they decided I wouldn't embarrass them. Me, uh, I would wouldn't embarrass them. They set me up with um, interviews on on the street. I got a job offer from Credit Suisse. I got a job offer from Lehman Brothers. These places that I couldn't even get. you know, an interview before, um, you know, um, I was in the final, in the finals with Solomon brothers kind of right at that time, you know, I went back to, to the folks at Nissa. And when when I say went back to, I I was still working there. I was interning during the school year. Um, and so I kind of showed up and I sat down with, uh, Kim Lester, uh, my boss at the time. And, you know, kind of said, Hey, look, I got these, I have these two offers as you know, and he obviously already knew because they told them. Um, so what do you think? And he, he laid out for me what, what he thought I could, um, accomplish and what I could do and what I could bring to the table for, for Nissa. And really at the end of the day, um, you know, kind of what the decision came down to for me is I was like, I'm over that, over the four or five months at that point that I'd been working there, it became clear that, uh, you know, and well, um, it, I don't want to say it became clear, um, you know, because the, the, you know, this would make it sound like I, I really understood how the street worked at this point, but sure. in my relatively immature understanding of, <clears throat> of, uh, you know, kind of how the street worked. I thought that I had found that I was working with four or five of those 25 people that were probably four or five of the top 50 smartest people anywhere on the street. And, uh, you know, it turned out that the founders that I referenced, you know, one of them was the one of the giants of the fixed income industry that had invented, you know, written books and papers and, and, and really brought into, um, you know, did the academic work that, that brought fixed income into the modern ages of finance. And, and, um, and so the, the, the bet I made is, you know, I could be at the startup, get in on the ground floor. Um, if things take off and go well, I will have a chance to grow with the firm with, without having to you know, without having many people kind of above me, um, in the organization. And if things don't work out in two or three years, I'll go to grad school. And so I just kind of viewed it as a pretty low risk opportunity. And like you said, 28 uh, years later, I'm still there, you know, instead of 25 people, we have 300 and probably 90 people now, uh, you know, and, uh, Instead of two point seven billion in assets under management, we we have, you know, nearly probably four hundred twenty five, four hundred fifty billion. Uh, you know, it was getting on, uh, you know, at the ground story of one of those, um, 
you know, kind of epic startup stories that uh, that you hear about, and sure. just having the opportunity to grow with that has been phen- phenomenal. So, in current day, your title and role. So, uh, my title is managing director um, of portfolio management, and you know the 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 role is I you know I I I manage our our team that um so uh, I mentioned Ken Lester earlier uh that was my the, the guy that hired me and my boss at the time he and I are partners we we both run the portfolio management um arm of our business together um the kind of uh, titan of the fixed income uh, world that I referenced earlier. His name is Jess Yowitz. Um, he uh, he sold the firm uh, to um, to employees uh, a handful of years ago, and um, I, you know, um, myself and and Ken and a couple of other folks are the um, the three managing members of that, and we have a few more teammates that Amazing. are. Uh, that are part of the ownership group. It's an amazing story. I will say, you know, I got to live at least the early days. We, we lived together after college for three and a half years until I moved to a, another part of the country. And so I really felt like I lived your early Nissa journey with you. And, and as you would tell me about Jess, I, I, I literally went and read finance books because I was just so enthralled with this amazing guy. But the best part was that he would show up to work and, like dolphin running shorts because he was an avid runner. So he'd, he'd run the 12 miles to work. And um, I know you think the world of him and he's an amazing guy. Um, what, you know, it's interesting, Anthony, and I'll get, I'll give you another breather to take a glass of water, but you know, um, almost valedictorian of your high school. Number, number oh, I'm sure, wow. I'm, I'm sure that doesn't sit well, but still number, painful to this. Well, day. And, and let's be clear. I was not the valedictorian. So <laughs> I was way down the way down the list. Uh, number one graduate coming out of the finance school at a, you know, top 15 or 20 university, um, internships, and you sent out 75 resumes and got one interview, not one job offer. You got one interview and the grit that it takes to then go see the chair of the department and ask the hard questions. Um, you know, I know serendipity and good fortune and luck played a role in, in landing in this place, but you, you also, grabbed the oar and put it in the water to, to make those things happen. And, um, from a career standpoint, it's real, it's really an amazing story to watch. I know we're giving a very, very cliff's notes version of it. Um, what are the, I, I want to finish with your family, but you know, before we do just, um, what are the, you know, if you, if you were going to give advice to, um, if you were going to give advice to yourself, 25 years ago as a young professional. And, and I know you applied things. I mean, you were my alarm clock waking up at 445 in the morning. I went to the gym, you went to work, and then I went to work a couple hours later. But what are the what are the tidbits that are general, but that were the most important things that that solidified your path to go from if you don't embarrass us to managing director and owner of this amazing firm? Um, you know, I think a lot of it ties back to, you know, some of the stuff, you know, that we, we discussed early, um, kind of in the conversation here, which was, 
um, I think I had the, the good fortune of just being blessed with a curiosity and a, um, and an interest in learning more about how things worked and, and sure. you can apply that to the financial markets, you know, kind of like other things, you know, um, I, I, I think, you know, look, I, I always tell our folks when, when we're hiring people, um, the, the, you know, there certainly are, you know, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a hurdle rate on IQ or natural horsepower talents that you have to be able to clear. Um, but, but once you kind of clear kind of some of that minimum hurdle, I pretty quickly start trading IQ points for interest in the subject matter, for curiosity, for, um, good teaming, um, you know, being a good teammate and working well, you know, you know with, with others and not, not just working well so that everybody gets along, but I'm a big believer that, um, you know, that together we can accomplish more and, and that when you have a team of folks that are pulling in the same direction, that one plus one plus one can equals five, six, seven. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I hear, um, folks say, you know, find something that you love and that you're passionate, passionate about. And, and, and that's what will, um, enable you to, to, to be willing to put in the, the, the work and the effort to become expert at something and to, and to gain fulfillment. And, I, you know, look, that's great. If, if you have the, the ability to, to find that one thing with, that you're, that you're super passionate about. But I, I guess I would say if you can find something that's interesting and if you can kind of continually be, be working to, um, to enhance your curiosity and to, and to keep that sense of, of, you know, that, that, that questioning sense of, well, why does this work that way? Or, sure. um, or how is it that that came about? And, and, you know, if you can kind of keep that sense of wonder and, and, um, and satisfy that sense of, of wonder by, by looking into things and kind of doing the work to, to learn more, you know, I think that that is, um, that that is really, you know, maybe one of the great keys that, that, um, that goes into being in a career that's going to span, you know, multiple decades. Um, the finance world, you know, I don't want to say it looks nothing like it did, you know, 28 years ago when I, yeah. when I started, but there's definitely been a ton of evolution and, and it's that, that curiosity and that that willingness to uh, that that interest in and willingness in, in figuring out what's new and what's different and what's evolving and what's changing that um, you, you know I think that that, that provides legs to a long lasting uh, career. Uh, it's uh, um, amazingly profound. I mean, curiosity, teammates working together i mean it, it sounds do you do you feel like you had those do you do you feel like you walked in with that mindset at 23 24 years old or did that have to be fostered over a long period of time um you know there there certainly were elements of of that 
um, you know, some of which I even think I was born with that, that I hadn't even developed, but, you know, I should be real clear. I, I've benefited greatly by the influence of, of others. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Jesse out. I mentioned Ken Lester, you know, th- those two taught me, um, very, very different things. They're very different individuals and they taught me very much professionally, you know, Jess is, you know, I, I, I think, um, uh, you know, taught me a lot about, um, you know, um, being willing to be unconventional. Um, you know, he was a very intelligent person, you know, like, you know, like we discussed, you know, just kind of one of the Titans of fixed income. Um, but he would, uh, you know, it, it was an uh, eccentric approach and he, he taught me very much, I think, about, um, you know, there, there, there's more than one way to, um, to accomplish big things. And I could never do it the way that he did. But, he, you know, just because he was as, as smart as he was and, and, you know, kind of on um, IQ off the charts, that didn't, that didn't stop him from being willing to sit down kind of with anybody and discuss and debate and, and share what he knew and, um, and, and, and help provide insights into different ways of thinking about things. And, you know, when I look at Ken, um, also, also very intelligent, but I think, you know, maybe the thing that set him apart, you know, was he, he was going to outwork and outcompete anybody, everybody, yeah, everybody. And, um, you know, you said I set my alarm clock at 4:45 to go to work. I was not the first person at the office, um, and you know, Ken, I, you know, I would say probably for the first five years of my career, you know, it probably averaged 5:30 or six o'clock in the morning to six or 6:30 at night. Uh, you know, um, five five days a week. You know, Saturday would be eight to three Sunday would be eight to 11. Um, and you know, again, very smart, you know, um, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of smart people in the business. He was going to outcompete and outwork, uh, anyone. And, and so again, seeing, you know, I wouldn't want to take that to mean what I learned from that is, you know, you have to invest every waking, waking hour in it, but, uh, you know, you have to figure out what's, um, both what's important to you and what you are, are, uh, you know, what, uh, on what dimension are you willing and able to compete if that's, you know, if you're looking to accomplish those great things. And, and, and so I look at that and, um, you know, I would say they very much helped shape you know, how I think about, uh, some of those elements, you know, I think some of the things, you know, for instance, about the team-based approach and some of that, I think that, that probably came, you know, I, I may be, you know, the bigger, maybe the biggest advocate for that team-based approach kind of at NISA. We've always advertised that about ourselves, but, you know, I think that that's something that I wholeheartedly believe in and that, and that, um, I've, I've worked to, um, instill that in, in you know, in, in my team and the people that work in my department and work with me is, you know, we can really, 
it's in our own selfish best interest to have, you know, for all of us to be selfless, you know, for all of us to think first about the client and next about the team. And if we do that, that's literally, you know, over the long run, if you're, if you're on a team with people of character, character, um, you know, while the, the most selfish thing you can do is be selfless. And, um, you know, I think all those are, are, are great lessons that have been learned over time and things I really, you know, I, I really truly believe in them. Yeah, no, it, it's obvious that you believe in them. I, I wrote the word selfless in quotes and then wrote over it again. So it looked like bold handwriting about five seconds before you said the word selfless. And I, um, it's just, it's just awesome perspective, Anthony, to give to people. What is, uh, professionally, what's the biggest mistake you made and how did you deal with it? and or learn from it um so i this probably probably doesn't exactly fit what you're looking for but maybe i'll describe it certainly the biggest professional challenge i had to learn was um how to um you know, almost to, you know, how to counteract some of the challenges that come from some of the things we've talked about earlier is, 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 is almost positive attributes, you know, competitiveness, desire to succeed. Um, you know, if, if you pursue some of those things to unhealthy ends, it can, it, it, you know, it can be challenging. And, um, um, probably the, the point in time in my life where I had the biggest professional challenges was, was during the financial crisis in in 07 08 um you know um the markets were were very challenging um at that point in time um you know our business was was um it 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 was doing well and we were expanding and that had led to um <clears throat> some you know kind of division of labor where um, I was largely responsible at, at that point in time for our cash fixed income business. Ken was responsible for our der- derivatives business. Um, I had another partner, uh, you know, uh, at that time, Mohan Balachandran, that um, that left at the beginning of 2008. You know, kind of right when you know as things were kind oh, yeah. of starting to 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 get challenging, and. Um, I was, uh, I was not in a, in a healthy place, um, psychologically and, you know, it's funny. I was, um, I was feeling out of control with the, you know, ability to anticipate and understand, um, you know, kind of what was happening in the financial markets. There was a lot of risk in our portfolios, um, you know, there were, I, I had high expectations of myself. Our, our clients were nervous. Um, and my response to that has to, 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 to challenging situations had always been, you know, you, you work more, you work harder, you invest more of yourself and, and, you know, you just outwork and outcompete the problem. And, you know, I'm working more, I'm working harder. I'm, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm coming home and, and I'm having trouble sleeping because I have anxiety and, 
I, I you know, I'd go to bed at 10 o'clock at night and I'd wake up at two o'clock in the morning, you know, just like not able to sleep and not able to think clearly. And I'd go down and I'd log on to Bloomberg and I'd be going over the portfolio with the traders that were in, that were in Hong Kong and in Tokyo. And, and, you know, so I'd, uh, you know, I'd do that almost, almost to calm my nerves. And then I'd go back to bed for an hour and then go to work. And Eric, and uh, also January, 2008, we just had our third kid. Naomi was born and Erico is kind of watching me go through this. And I remember about a month or two after Naomi was born, um, Erico was like, you know, look, this, this, this isn't, you know, um, this isn't how this is going to work. This isn't going to work right. out well. I'm taking, I'm taking the keys from the car here, you know, and, and taking the decisions out of your hand. And she, uh, she went and found a psychiatrist and had me, um, had me go, go, go meet and talk to somebody. And, and that was just super humbling for me. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, 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 it I, I think it gave me some tools on how to, uh, how to better more intelligently or not, not intelligently, but, um, how to less emotionally think about things. And, um, you know, it's called uh, cognitive behavior therapy. You know, it's it's you know, your mind can play tricks on you and take you down um, some um, unhealthy, unhealthy rabbit holes if um, if you're not careful. And just getting the tools on how to 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 better frame situations and think about them and things. And you know, don't think about challenge. You know, don't think about problems as or challenges as problems, think about these as, you know, frame it differently. Okay. This is an opportunity for me to learn. This is an opportunity for me to grow. Um, that was, that was really important to me. And, you know, the funny thing is through this whole time frame, you know, that was one of the best performing years that we ever had. Um, you know, it's still one of the top one or two years ever in the, in the history of the, of the firm, in terms of the, per, the performance we generated, right. but it was, incredibly anxiety inducing for for me because you know i didn't have a great toolkit at that time and and so if you were to ask me the lesson that i took from that um you know certainly it took you know it, it, I, I took some lessons for how to deal with stress and, and you know and how to think about certain situations at the firm but i think really the biggest thing that i that i took from it was it just made me much more empathetic as as a human, um, for, for people and, 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 and not quite, uh, um, you know, I think a lot of times we, you know, we have trouble recognizing the challenges that others could be going through. And, you know, I, I remember one of the big challenges for me in that situation of even accepting, um, you know, the help of, a uh, you know, of a psychiatrist was, of course, was, um, you know, I'm sitting there saying, wait a second, you know, I'm, you know, what was I at the time? 35 years old. I have a great wife. I have three beautiful kids. You know, I've got a great job. I've got a great team at work. How is it that I could, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, right. what, how can you not recognize, you know, nobody's going to have sympathy 
for you and say, you know, why, why are you struggling? You shouldn't be struggling just because the markets are a little bit tough. I mean, like, you know, that, that was my mindset. And, you know, um, I, it, it was just very humbling in the sense that, um, you know, if, if I, in that circum- set of circumstances could kind of find myself, you know, dealing mentally and emotionally with those type of things, um, it, it gave me a lot, you know, I think greater appreciation for other folks that were dealing with a lot bigger and more obvious challenges, gave me a, a lot more empathy for them and a lot more respect for just um, the, the, the ability that, that so many humans have to, to deal with challenge and to deal with the, and to, you know, to navigate the, the, you know, the, the obstacles that can be in the path, you know, in the paths of our lives. And, um, and so I, I'm very appreciative of, I, I just think I'm a much more empathetic person than I used to be. And I think it was, I think it really humbled me a lot and that stuck with me, um, stuck with me, you know, ever since. Well, I, I appreciate your vulnerability in that vein. You know, I, you know, best man in your wedding, you know, lifelong friend. I could have been a far better friend. I didn't know this. So as I said, you know, my whole goal here is selfish, kind of like you framed up with your selfless comment to be selfish. But, um, you know, I, I didn't know that. And I appreciate you sharing it because, um, everybody's dealing with stuff. Life is hard and, you know, getting, getting your mind, getting yourself and your mind rowing in the right direction with a, with a positive outlook is a, is a powerful, powerful thing. So, um, I appreciate you sharing that. So we might, we might have to have a part two at some point, but let's, um, I, I know I'm opening a giant can of worms here, but I also know you're a very, very passionate husband and father. Um, just give everybody a little bit on, your family, um, the, the spirit, the, the culture of the family. And, um, and then I'll have one more question, I think after that, and we can, uh, we can wrap things up. Oh, sure. And <laughs> you, you cut me off when I'm, uh, you know, when I've gone on long enough, this is something I could talk about forever, but of course. I do, do love my family. Um, you know, obviously I've mentioned Erico, um, you know, 24 years coming up here in, uh, in a couple of months. Um, we have, we have four kids. My oldest daughter is 20 years old. Um, she is a a junior in college. She's, as I mentioned, she's on the soccer team, um, you know, in a sorority has great friends, just a very passionate liver of life. You know, everything to her is, fun and new and exciting and you know the big challenges uh you know in her you know when she's figuring out what her course load is going to be for next semester or something like that is how do I narrow it down there's just so many interesting things to potentially take a look at and and learn more about and and so um just a just a ton of fun but also she's a big liver of life i mean she's not a spectator she she gets out and you know um you know she she likes to be involved she likes to be you know she believes kind of life is a you know it's 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 a contact sport you know um you want to be a player you don't want to be sitting on the <laughs> recliner watching um i have a 
my next is a son. He's he's uh, 18. He's just started his senior year in in uh, in high school. Um, you know, uh, very uh, each, each of my kids is is kind of unique in their own personality. Um, you know, he is a um, very personable kid. Has you know, kind of a ton of of friends and acquaintances. He's kind of a really, he's got a really laid back demeanor about him. You know, um, I was saying, you know, I talk about kind of how, uh, you know, intense I was growing up and how competitive and all that stuff. And I was saying, you know, he probably should have been born to some, you know, if you were to judge his demeanor on the surface, he probably should have been born to some family and, Southern California, you know, he goes out, surfs three or four days a week, just kind of takes it easy, <laughs> kind of a chill kid. But beneath that, you know, he's, he's also a really competitive kid. He's a, uh, you know, I was not, you know, I thought I was a good athlete, but really I just liked sports. He's actually a, a really good athlete. He's a, he's a high-level soccer player and kind of figuring out where that's going to take him. Uh, you know, I'd say uh, – you know, as, in contrast to his sister who loves school, I'd say he's a good student. He, you know, probably doesn't love the academics, but he, he, he loves his school. He loves his friends. He, you know, he loves being in the environment. And, and so, uh, he's having a lot of fun. Um, Naomi is, is 15, almost 16. Um, she's a sophomore. Um, you know, she is uh, also a really interesting kid. She's, you know, I think she's um, driven to, you know, she, she, she likes to do well at things. Um, she likes to both see herself and be seen as being, you know, a good student and, uh, and, um, you know, um, you know, a, it, it was important for her to, um, and, you know, kind of a big accomplishment, I think, for her to make the varsity soccer team as a, as a, as a freshman at her school and to be able to start on the soccer team. And, and um, you know, I think what's going to be interesting to me for her is um, as she continues to mature and to grow, um, I'm still – not quite certain what she's really passionate about for, for the subject matter itself. You know, in other words, what internally really gets her motivated and going, not, sure. you know, less the, the external motivators. And, you know, um, she likes animals. She likes, you know, I, I, I could see her potentially uh, doing something kind of, um, veterinary you know veterinary sciences or something of that nature but you know uh it i think one of the fun parts of, of having kids is watching their 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 interests and their tastes um and their personalities just kind of develop and blossom and so you know it'll be interesting to see where you know how she develops and then the last one for us uh we have a seventh grader uh seventh grade boy caden um you know, one of the things I think that is really fun and interesting for us is the school that we go to is seventh through 12th grade. And so this year, K 
Caden, Naomi, and Kai are all uh, in school together. And it's, it's fun for me to see um, – it's fun for me to, to see the bond that they have with each other. We, we had that one year or one time earlier where Emmy, Kai, and Naomi were all there together. And I just – I love that they get along with each other. They support each other. They, um, you know – they're, they're they're much better to their siblings than I was to mine. I, I kind of just ignored mine and only thought about myself, but you know, you can tell that they really like each other and like spending time together. The, the little guy is, well, he's not so little anymore, but um, you know, he's a real curious kid. Um, I think he could end up being kind of like an engineer or, you know, he, he likes just seeing how things work and figuring out, um, you know, how a machine comes together and, and what are all the different ways that you can tweak it to make it do this or make it do that. Um, uh, you know, so I think, I think he's got, uh, you know, maybe some opportunities in that area. He's, he's a, a pretty curious student. He's also like, like the rest of them, he's a, he's a soccer player and really enjoys soccer. And so, uh, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. But um, you know, I, they, I they all they all came from the same parents, but they sound very, very different, right? It's amazing oh, for how, sure. that, how that works out. For sure. And uh, you know, I think maybe to, to 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 wrap up this little element of it, you know, you were kind of asking what's in, in, important and you know about uh, to me about my my family and what we're kind of trying to impart and. You know, obviously, there's a whole long laundry list of things that you try to teach your kids and so forth. <clears throat> but I would say maybe the the thing that one of the things that's most important, and also I feel is is happening and is working, is I love that my kids love each other and and love being with family. That family is important to them, and you know, I think you know. Obviously, I want them to grow up to be good contributing members to society and, you know, to be able to have families of their own and be good providers and supporters of their family. But along with that, I hope that we have created a bond and an environment where they, they like getting back together with each other. And, you know, um, uh, I... I, I see that already with Emmy coming home from school and, and, and just with the amount of time that they do choose to spend both with each other or with Erico and I or with some of the other family, uh, you know, cousins and adventures. I think that there really is a, a good appreciation for, for family and those family bonds. And, um, I, you know, I think as they get older and they have, um, you know, other calls on their time, hopefully those those bonds remain strong and, and, and those ties that bind kind of keep us together. And, yeah. um, that I would, if you were to say, um, you know, what, what would an important measure of success as a parent be? It would be that we love each other and we, and we actually want to be around each other when it's a choice, not, not when, not just because we have to, because we live in the same house. It's amazing. And I think, you know, um, 
we, we've taken a circuitous path over, you know, a little less than two hours, but the, the common fabric that I see is, is how your parents viewed family, how you personally view it, how you and Erica view it together. And then you see it through your kids and I, you know, you can, um, we all do have the ability to influence other folks. So you, a uh, lot of, a lot of soccer games, a demanding job. What do you do for fun, Anthony? Um, I would actually say that this is this is something that maybe I've I've underinvested in. Um, That's is, not why I'm asking, just for the record. But, but no, please no, keep going. No, but uh, you know it's it, it's it's funny. Um, just as 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 life evolves, you know, you kind of start to see um, maybe um, some areas where maybe you would have been, you know, some some. E- 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 either maybe you would have done things a little bit differently, or maybe there's different life stages and different, different things at different points in time in your life um, where we invest a little bit differently. But uh, really this gets a little bit back to my comment, you know, about, uh, you know, when I was talking earlier, you know, about Erico and about balance, part of the reason that I've thought so much about that is, is just because it kind of applies to my own life. And Right. As I'm starting to get to a different life stage here, you know, I realize that I have probably underinvested a bit in 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 hobbies and in um you know, maybe some of the wider ranging relationships and things of that nature. And so that that's kind of one of the fun things for me now is I'm I'm having I'm I'm getting bandwidth that's allowing me to do to 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 invest in some of those things more and to and to almost either uh, kind of um, find some of those interests that, that maybe had gone dormant and, and been lost a little bit, or maybe, you know, almost reimagine new things. And so, um, you know, I, I, I do enjoy reading, but I, I kind of gotten out of the habit of reading and I've started reading, you know, a, a, a decent amount again. And it's been, it's, it, you know, I do uh, get a lot of pleasure and enjoyment out of, um, you, you know, kind of reading good books on a whole variety of things. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely continue to, um, make time to, to do things kind of physically where I work out probably good. five days a week. Um, you know, I just think it's important to continue to invest in your body so that it doesn't fail you so that we, so I can really enjoy the next 40, 50, 60 years of, you know, of, of, of not just lifespan, but, but, but health span, yep. um, you know, um, you know, working on building kind of new, both new fr- friendships and investing, you know, kind of in, in older friendships to, 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 to make sure that that community around me, um, is, is strong and vibrant. And I mean, it's, it's amazing how much of your community can be a function of either, your kids or, or, or the, the friends of your, uh, the parents of your kids, friends or things of that nature. Definitely. Um, and, you know, and, uh, you know, and so that's been fun. And, and, you know, I think you also know one of the, the big new, um, uh, you know, hobbies is, uh, good buddy of ours, Brian Wolf and I are working on, uh, you know, we, we, we bought this dumpy P 
piece of land that had been neglected for years and so forth, piece of farmland and ranch land and are kind of turning it into a little hobby farm. And so uh, I think that's going to provide years of fun and projects and opportunity to learn new things and spend time being semi-productive. So uh, those are probably the highlights for what I do outside the office and away from family. You know, you said earlier there was no master plan you were referring to your work but you know you look at all how this is all played out and i know you consider yourself very fortunate um i consider you very fortunate but it's is really cool to see it all come together over five decades for uh for one of my two best friends this this 50 year old um guy that i'm talking to well anthony i'm gonna put a i'm gonna put a bookmark there um and call it a night the, the is there anything that I that I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about and and hell this may be your only opportunity to say something to the world um, or give give unsolicited advice is there anything you'd like to offer up? Um, well, you know I think maybe the one thing that I would say um, and th- this might take a minute or two so forgive me but um, <laughs> you know you uh, you know you know the whole concept here is you know, kind of my amazing friends. And, um, you know, you, you know, I think the point you're making is, um, you know, a lot of us that are, you know, really just pretty ordinary people can be, um, you know, uh, can, can provide a, you know, an amazing fabric to the lives for those around us. And, you know, I love the concept that you're doing here. And I think that that really is, if you were to say, you know, what's, one of the secrets to uh, my life and my life's enjoyment, it has been um, the, the, the relatively normal, amazing people that are, that are around me. You know, I mentioned a couple of them, you know, kind of from work, you know, I think I've been very fortunate to, to just have people that, you know, most people would would never have heard of, but have had amazing impacts in my life. I think that, that, um, you know, I think when I look at my, you know, some of my best successes in life, it's finding people that um, are well-intentioned, that um, are, uh, you know, have similar values to me, um, where we're kind of philosophically aligned on things where, you know, you don't have to be questioning their motives or questioning their um, you know, what are they trying to get out of this? You can really believe that they're good people that, you know, where, where, where we can, um, um, you know, kind of live and achieve together. And, and we really do have each other's best interests at heart. And, you know, when I, you know, obviously can talk about my wife like that. I've, I have another business that we didn't discuss today where I have a business partner that has been just you know, where I trust implicitly and is just a, you know, one of the greatest people, you know, I look at you, I look at Wolf, you know, um, I think the, the, you know, one of the, maybe the, 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 the secrets to, um, the quality of life I have is the, is the quality of friends that are around me and the quality of people that are around me. And I just feel super, um, super blessed and super fortunate that, that I've been able to, to 
you know, to, to, to share these experiences with them. And, and they've just made me so much better and made it so much more fulfilling. And I'd certainly put you, um, you know, of all the people, like you said, you know, there's not many people that go beyond 45 years for me. You've been there from the beginning. So I uh, really appreciate it. And really, pre- really think this project you're doing is super <laughs> neat. And I, I look forward to seeing, uh, to, he- to hearing the rest of them and, and, and learning more of the stories. Well, I mean, you, I'm smiling. We're not on camera, but I'm smiling because you, you really validated, uh, literally to a T everything that I, that I wanted this to be. So again, I have no concern as to whether anyone listens to it. I, I certainly hope that your kids and my wife and our good friends, I think we'll have our own little community, but there, but I am going to push for people to hear. Uh, about my amazing friend Anthony Pope because the story and the the notes that I have here the story you just told the things the advice that could be extracted from how you've lived your life how you continue to live it is is amazing and so um super proud of you as a friend we're a long way from Fenton Missouri and um <laughs> I think we're going to I think we're going to call it there but uh we, we will be I will tease out um I will soon be talking to kind of the third leg of the chair between the three of us our good friend brian wolf who i'm sure that discussion will be vastly different but also amazingly helpful and informative uh with with a high level of enthusiasm he's he's another amazing guy but i have said anth my my favorite quote by far is you are the sum of the people you surround yourself with and that was the common ingredient through your whole story in these four pages of notes that i look at and i try to make it I, I think I have succeeded in life because I've chosen great friends and great people to surround myself with. And I beg my sons every day that, that they need to do that too. So they can, they can push the risk away from them and, and put the odds in their favor. So um, appreciate you taking time. A lot of fun, a lot of fun, really appreciate it. And uh, I'm uh, you know, I will be maybe sub- subscriber number one when you, there you, uh, go. When you get this posted. So I'm it'll, super it'll, excited. Uh, yeah, get ready. All right. You're Appreciate good, man. the opportunity, man. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, everybody. All right, bud.